Aloha, and welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. If you'd like to know more about any of our ministries, you can check out our website at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks so much for tuning in. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? I just want to say um, the worship team has been firing. They have been really a blessing to all of us. And Can we give them a round of applause? Yeah. Thank you, guys. Not everyone here, and not everyone here this morning is representing the worship team. There's other people here, and so Teva, thank you for the ministry that you provide us to lead us into the throne room of God. We really appreciate that this morning. And so uh, today, I wanted to open with a word of prayer before we get into our text. Um, but today, we're going to be in Psalm 100, and we're going to be talking about the topic of worship. So, if you would please join me in a word of prayer, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity to come here and freely worship you. And so, God, I pray as I preach this message, as we prepare our hearts for the second set of worship, that you would free us up to truly worship you expressively without restraint, knowing that you are a good God who is worthy of all of our adoration and worship, God. And so would you do something in our heart today through the preaching of God's word? Would you anoint me, help me to decrease, and you would increase, God? We proclaim that we love you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And so also last week, uh, Mr. McNeil fired up a good sermon too. And can we give him a round of applause as well? Yeah, that was, I got to hear the podcast. It was so good. So many good teachers, really appreciate everybody stepping in. Um, and as I was uh, approaching this topic this week, it's kind of interesting. I've been going over some of our core values as a church. If you haven't been here very long, we have certain core values that we believe and hold to. And so far, I've preached on prayer. I've preached on the Word of God. And today, I want to preach on worship. And so before we get into Psalm 100 this morning, before we get into the subject of worship, I, I wanted to preface this teaching by unfolding something that's very unfortunate that's been happening in many American churches. And I think it's worth mentioning in light of our subject today. It's not true in all places. It's not true in all churches. But, but it's becoming more evident in more places and more churches. And Tripp's addressed this very many times. And there's also been authors who have written on this very thing. Probably one of the most prominent ones is this guy named David Platt, and he wrote this book called Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream. Great book that I recommend. And the thing that I'm talking about, and the thing that he addresses in this controversial little book, is how many churches have blended consumerism with the American church. That our culture has slipped into the church in many different ways, and this is nothing new. Paul would often address different churches for different things. There would be cultural things that would slide into the church and derail them from their mission. And for us, one of those big things is consumerism. We have become the center of the focus. And in the process, we get very distracted. And so in many ways, we can approach the church as something that it's supposed to meet our needs. It's a place we want to hear good music. We want good parking, good programs, good coffee. We want really good bagels. If we go down there, the bagels are sold out. We're super bummed, right? 
We want good networks. We want to have a good experience. And it's not that all these things are bad, but when we approach the church with this sort of mindset, we miss the most important thing that we are being offered here on any given Sunday morning. We're being robbed of something that's far more important, and we're ultimately being robbed of what we were designed and created to do. One of my favorite theological works is this thing called the Westminster's Catechism. And what we have in this document is a whole bunch of really, really smart guys got together, theologians, very educated, got together to answer some of the most important questions of life. And the very first question addresses our ultimate purpose. 107 different, very profound questions. And at the top of the list, we have this. What is the chief end of man? And this is how they answer that question. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You see, this question succinctly expresses the fundamental purpose of human existence for us to worship and to enjoy God. Those are not opposite things. That before you're a surfer, you are a worshiper. That before you are a teacher, you are a worshiper. Before you're a soldier, an airman, before that you're a sailor, you are a worshiper. Even before you are a mom or a dad, according to the word of God in theology, you are a worshiper. And so before we get into Psalm 100, I wanted to open with a terrible illustration. Because I'm terrible at illustrations, the best that I could come up with. Um, but I think it will help us understand what worship is really about, the enjoyment of God that is offered to us through expressed worship. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But imagine this morning that you had a 1974 Ford Mustang in your garage, okay? 1974 Ford Mustang in your garage. This may appeal to most of the men. I'm sorry, this is my analogy. And let's say that it was the car from Gone in 60 Seconds, okay, with our beloved Nicolas Cage. Awkward man, love the guy, can't help it. And in this movie, he calls this car Eleanor. And if you haven't seen the movie, we have a picture for you. That's an amazing looking car, isn't it? That is a beautiful, even if you're a Prius guy like myself, I have to say, I still love that car. Probably five miles to the gallon, but a beautiful, amazing car, right? Now, you own this car in your garage. Most of us don't have garage. It's an analogy, right? But you have this car right now in your garage. Now, imagine that you never actually drove this car. You actually never got in this thing and drove it. You never experienced the power of it. You never ripped through the gears. You never experienced the glory of this car that it always just sat in your garage, and the reason why you never enjoyed this 1974 Ford Mustang is because you were always distracted by other things in the garage. Every time you come in the garage, your focus is on other things. It's on the paint cans in the corner, the oil spots on the ground. It's on the cobwebs up in the corner. 
It's on the pile of boxes that your spouse throws into the garage. Lauren, I don't know if you're here. I'm not trying to call you out, babe. But I'm just saying, you get distracted by all these other things. And you never really appreciate this holy and wonderful thing. We're always getting Amazon packages, and she just throws them out there. And so I'm just saying there's an opportunity to repent this morning. But the reason (laughs) that you never experience the beauty and the, the awe of this car is because you're always distracted by other things. And we could say this morning, if you never took that car for a drive, Nicolas Cage would be so disappointed in you, right? And so here's the connection. When we come to this place and we are distracted by so many lesser things, we are missing the best thing. We are missing the very thing that we were designed and created to do. We have come to experience and to enjoy God. You were designed to know and worship Jesus. You see, What God offers each of us this morning is infinitely better than a silly car. And so there's been this disconnect in Western evangelical churches that has shifted from what I can give to what I can get. How will I be blessed? How can I receive? How will I be served? And in the process of all that, we're being ripped off. I feel like Matt Redman said it very well when he said, Worship is not about looking around at what everyone else is doing, but it's about looking up to God with a heart full of gratitude. You see, the thing that we were designed to do at the end of it all was to enjoy God. And I believe personally the enemy is working overtime to rob us from that. And so this is why we have scripture like Psalm 100 that is very purposeful in redirecting our attention. It's a reminder to not focus on the garage, but to focus on the car, to put all the distractions aside and to enter into worship. And this psalm gets after two really, really simple things. Very simple psalm for us to understand, like most of the psalms, clear structure. It wants us to respond to something because we know something. Knowing and responding. The Christian faith is built on concrete facts that cause us to respond in such a way. And the same thing is very clear here in Psalm 100, like most of the Psalms, clear structure. Verse 2 and 4 says, we will do this because we know verses 3 and 5 to be true. Or in other words, there is a foundation for why we worship. So if you have your Bible, let's read Psalm 100 together this morning. I'll give you a minute to open there. But it should also be on the screen, too. Psalm 100 says this. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to his name and bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. You see, ultimately, we worship because we know something about God. 
You had coffee this morning, right? Because you knew it would caffeinate you. You got into your car and drove here this morning because you thought it was reliable enough to maybe get you here. You dropped off your kids at children's ministry this morning so that you could have a little break. We do so many different things that's based on knowledge. And the psalmist is after the same thing here. We worship and we sing and we praise because we know something about God. And living on this side of the cross, as Christians, we have the full revelation of the goodness of God, don't we? That he sent his only son to die for each one of us on a brutal cross. And so what that does for us, even the historical study, the historicity of the resurrection stands as a profound knowledge that should cause us to respond in a certain way. And one thing that really stands out to me in Psalm 100 that I've been noticing this week and I've had debates with different people about what worship really is, is something I can't escape in Psalm 100 is that, is that worship should be expressive. Make a joyful noise. Come into his presence with singing. Enter his courts with, with praise. Bless his name with shouts. There's this tangible and visceral expression in worship. There's this visceral and emotional response because of foundational truth. And, and friends, I have to say, this has been very convicting for me this week. I am like one of the most least expressive guys when it comes to worship, right? When my hands get about this high, I'm like really getting after it, right? But this morning, because I was convicted, I was like, I'm going to throw one up for you, Lord, because I'm just going to be expressive and I'm preaching this thing and so I got to follow through, right? But it's been convicting for me this week that there should be an expression in worship. And gosh, I get so excited about so many silly things, right? And one of those things for me is Alabama football. We've been talking a lot about football here lately, right? I think it's an idolatry issue, right? It's a vignette into something that needs to be changed, right? But I get really expressive when it comes to Alabama football. My wife can testify, right? Oh, my goodness. Let's not do that. But what I've come to find out, like the dogs fans will find out, is that like most things in life, they will eventually let you down. And boy, has Alabama let me down this year, right? I mean, we kind of got the quarterback situation sort of figured out. There's a lot of weirdness in Tuscaloosa right now. But the point is, everything in this life, whether you put it in a bowling ball or a football team or an oven or your business or your friendships or even your marriage, your kids, everything, if this is life, will let you down. And so if this is true, and the gospel is true, that if God loved me so much that he would die for me, and he loves me with a perfect love that can't be added to or taken away, should my worship be more passionate? Should my worship be more joyful? Should my worship be more enthusiastic? And I also want to say, just so that we're balanced, that worship is obviously more than singing. It's much more than what happens here on a Sunday morning, that everything that we do according to the word of God is an opportunity to bring worship to God. Whether you eat or drink, Paul says, do it unto the glory of God. 
through your serving, your giving, vocation, gifts, the way that you treat your spouse, through the way we steward our possessions, and on and on we go are all opportunities to bring worship to God. One theologian said, worship is not a part of the Christian life, it is the Christian life. But even though those things are true, that worship is truly a lifestyle, the most frequently spoken form of worship throughout scripture by far is through song and singing. By far, it's, it's the most common form of worship that is in scripture. It's expressive in nature. And, and so what happens here on a Sunday morning is not just a sing-along, but it's the expressed gratitude of the heart of what God has done in our lives. That worship is based on the cross. If God has done this thing, how should I respond? And so Psalm 100 is an invitation to be reminded of the goodness of God and how we should respond. And so what we can't miss also in this psalm is that there should be some sort of reverence in our approach to church. And because each of us were created and designed to know and to worship God, what I want to say this morning is that there is an opportunity for each of us today to live fully into the reason that you were created. There is an opportunity to lean into worship. Clocks were designed to tell time. Lawnmowers were to cut grass. Books were designed to, to be read. Tacos are designed to be eaten often, right? And you were designed to worship God. This was the ultimate reason that God created us. And one of the chief ways, according to scripture, my own study this week, that God has appointed for you to live into that design is your worship, is your expressed adoration. Psalm 22 says, God is enthroned on the praises of his people. There is power in praise that satisfies the soul like nothing else. Why? Because you were created to worship. And so the real question that we should ask ourselves this morning in light of who we claim to be as a church and the way that we approach church, the real question that we should ask ourselves this morning is why do we come here on any given Sunday? Are we coming with this holy anticipation that God wants to meet with you? Do we come with a prepared heart? Do we come with intentionality? And I'll leave us with this final thought. In the Old Testament, there were three feasts that every Jewish person was required to attend. And they had these really, really special psalms called the Psalms of Ascent, Psalms 120 through 134. And they would sing these songs to prepare their hearts way, way before they arrived to the temple. They were designed in such a way to set aside the distractions before they entered into the temple proper. And so they would sing these songs of ascent on their, on their way to the temple. No one would ever just show up to church, so to speak, to see what would happen, to see what was going on, to see who was there and who was doing what. But they actually thought it through. They approached it with intentionality. And Another interesting thing is, is when they got to the southern steps of the temple, which was the common entrance, they would find something very unique. The stairs of the southern gate going up to the temple 
were super erratic. They were built in such a way that you had to be mindful of where you were stepping. There would be a long step, a short step, a long step. It would absolutely fail building code in Hawaii. Like someone would break their neck, right, and then get sued. But they were designed this way for a purpose. And so the idea was that no one could just roll up to the temple to see what was going on. They had to pay very careful attention to where they were walking. And in the process, this visceral reminder told them, I'm approaching Yahweh. And as I reflected on this idea of the Psalms of Ascent, how they prepared their hearts, I thought about how we have this built into where we attend church. There is something built into this valley, in my opinion, that offers us the opportunity to prepare our hearts before God. We, we, get, we get out of our cars out there in the parking lot. Uncle Gino welcomes us, usually without a shirt on. I love the man. And he gives you a smile. But that should be your cue that you're stepping into this valley. And we have about this five-minute walk from there to here. And from there to here, there is one thing you cannot deny the stunning beauty of where we get to do church. I mean, you have to think about this. God must have spent extra time when he was designing this valley, maybe just like an extra nanosecond, just to give it a little extra zazz, right? Like when you step foot in this valley as a believer, how can you not see God's handiwork all over this place? From the sound of the stream the leaves like kind of fluttering out of the sky like snow, that which trips me out. The crazy peacocks, the stunning cliffs, the amazing trees, the amazing foliage. That, that, that little walk that we have from the parking lot to the pavilion is an opportunity to be reminded of who we are coming to meet with. That's a visceral reminder. That is God's design for the mission, to be reminded of the opportunity that he is giving each of us, individually and corporately, to enter into worship freely, expressively, without restraint. Because here's the truth, church. We were never meant to just sit here and cruise. The church is not made up of an audience. We were never meant to be spectators. But the church is made up of participants who were designed and created to worship God. And so in closing, I'm going to ask you guys to do something really bold. I'm going to ask you to stand, and then we're going to read Psalm 68.4, and that way God may help us transition into a place of worship. And so I'm going I'm to read this really short psalm, and then as we get into an opportunity to worship. I pray that you guys would enter in knowing that God is good. And so please stand with me if you're able. In reverence to God, Psalm 68.4 says this. Sing to God. Sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you freely. And so, God, I pray that as we transition into this corporate worship, that you would set us free individually to worship you, to put our hands up, to say thank you for what you have done in my life as an individual. You are worthy of my expressed 
worship. And so God, would you anoint the worship team as you did earlier to lead us into the throne room of God and may we enter that space with a posture of humility knowing that we have been radically saved by the blood of Christ and therefore that is worthy of throwing our hands in the air and saying you are a good God. Even as the book of Revelation gives us this vignette of this multitude of tribes and tongues and nations coming to worship you and it says with one voice they lift their praise to heaven. God, would you do that in us today and would that worship sustain us this week that we would know that you're a good God and you want to anoint us for ministry. But before we get into the ministry, would you help us to know that we need to worship you before all things. We thank you for this morning. We love you, Jesus. You are worthy of our praise. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.